I want to give a shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto markets. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we are joined by our very special guest, The Block's very own Mika Hankasolo, to talk about basically what's going on in the DeFi market. He's been a consigliere for the show on all things DeFi, and even in my reporting has helped sort of inform some of the more wonky and pedantic aspects of this market. I feel like we just had you on not too long ago to talk about the Uniswap V3 upgrade. But I want to just get a sense, since you're kind of part of the brains behind our very impressive data dashboard that covers all aspects of the crypto market and DeFi. You know, if you look at a lot of the charts, not just price charts, but sort of user activity charts and the amount of folks visiting retail platforms and web activity, a lot of those charts are pointing downwards. But I want to get the story behind some of these charts and unpack the ways in which the DeFi market specifically has actually held up. And I think you tweeted about this not too long ago. Despite price slumps, we're still seeing, we've seen a sort of stabilization, right, in many different metrics, including gross value locked and net value locked on some of these uh, different platforms. And in some respects, you see value locked on certain decks is actually increasing. I think if you look at Curve, that provides it one example. But I guess before we dive in, let's just do a, an overview of the state of the DeFi market as you see it right now, and then we can get into the data. Overall, the DeFi market is it's highly reflexive based on just the interested trade, crypto tokens, and DeFi really is like the crypto native way to speculate on crypto itself right now. And you'd expect sort of some type of reflexivity when uh, prices go down and overall there's just uh, less retail interest uh, in the market to uh, really impact DeFi. And that has happened in some sense. So if prices, for example, drop 20 or 30 percent, it's not unusual for Coinbase volumes to drop 50 percent or something. And DeFi sort of sees its own version of that. But also DeFi does have some other things going for it, like a liquidity mining, which has stayed very popular and that's sort of propping up some of these protocols. So there is a downturn, but there's also some continued growth and, and that sort of thing. So it's a bit of a, a cyclical thing always, but DeFi is overall it tends to be growing. What are some of the more notable areas of weakness that you've picked up on 
in recent weeks? The obvious one is that the demand for uh, leverage basically is going down a lot. So you're looking at these uh, perpetual swap protocols, for example, like DYDX perpetual protocol. They sort of work as uh, the more reflexive versions of uh, DEXs themselves. And this is where the trade volumes are really dropped off uh, almost 80 to 90%. But overall, if you look at DEXs as well, uh, something like SushiSwap, for example, from the best week, it's down about 67% or so. Uh, the same goes for Curve as well. Uniswap also down from its best week, maybe 50%. So overall, it's just the trading interest uh, going down and that affects the DEXs. But that is very much mirrored in the centralized exchanges where the uh, relative uh, amount of trade volume that goes through DEXs compared to centralized exchanges of maybe 10, 15%, depending on how you count it. And that has stayed relatively the same. So the DEXs are very much reacting uh, like centralized exchanges in this manner. Yeah, and sort of all of it to a degree is connected. The perp swap trading volume, the chart is is nuts. We had a high, I think, on May 19, you know, total volumes well above uh, 600, nearing 700 million on a given day. We're down to, let's see, 100 million. So where do we go from here? What are some of maybe the bright spots that suggest that there might be a turnaround to some degree or, or maybe there won't be? Some of the lending protocols, for example, have actually seen a lot of growth recently, which is quite odd because you'd think that the demand sort of for lending protocols is to take out loans in USD and sell them for BTC to take out a leveraged loan position on BTC or ETH or something else. And uh, for example, Aave has continued to grow a lot. If you look at the DAI supply for MakerDAO, it dropped quickly right as the prices were dropping a lot, but now it's already at an all-time high, over 5 billion DAI minted. So those protocols have actually held up pretty well. If you look at Urine, for example, and this is maybe the best example of where the money is going, Urine is at an all-time high in TVL as well, and that's for exclusively basically for liquidity mining and getting rewards off of that. So uh, that part of the industry still hasn't really died down and and you can still see, for example, dollar yields being quite high in DeFi simply because there's a sort shortage of dollars in the system. So those dollars are valuable in every case. So I would say some of the lending protocols doing well uh, comes down to that. And that's sort of a, a positive on the metrics side. Yeah, if you look at the amount of value locked in urine, we're up to $5 billion, over $5 billion. At the beginning of the year, we were looking at you know, just north of 500 million. So that growth has continued unabated. And I think that's a really interesting point because it speaks to, you know, a dichotomy that maybe exists within the DeFi market. Speculators have maybe moved off some of these trading platforms looking to punt and take these speculative bets have now maybe moved to something where they can just park their cash and get a yield. The markets are relatively inefficient in crypto in a couple of different ways. For example, a lot of the urine uh, profits, they come from the curve distribution of the CRV token. And for example, you can think that a lot of the CRV tokens are on exchanges or something and no one's really using them for anything. And that part of the token supply essentially gets diluted when you issue new tokens as incentives to provide liquidity on curve. So just because the market is so inefficient, that still gives like these pretty great yield opportunities for your synthetic dollars, for example, or even tokens in some cases. And that's uh, still very attractive and it can give you easily 
20% yields a year or something at the current rate. Despite the drawdown in some of the activity out there across these different protocols, you still see them moving forward with development. I mean, Uniswap V3, which you came on to talk about last time, working towards capital efficiency, a number of different protocols have raised insane amounts of money, right? Solana, which is looking to break into powering a lot of these different DeFi apps, raised $314 million. So there is sort of this divergence happening between the activity we're seeing and sort of the amount of internal development and capital raising that these firms are seeing as well. What do you make of that difference? That's something that we see anecdotally on the research side as well uh, with our clients where there's a lot of interest in DeFi right now. And I think that's something where DeFi, the value proposition is actually very easy to understand because someone with a traditional investing background, these are cash flow producing assets. They're essentially like companies that produce a service and make some money off of that. And that profit can get distributed to token holders or is at least under the governance of token holders in some treasury or something. And if you just use DeFi and provide liquidity on Uniswap V3 or whatever, that's a very sort of futuristic fintech experience. And I think that's something that's very easy for VCs and technology investors, especially to get into. So there is a lot of interest in DeFi and there's obviously funds who have also raised recently and those funds will be deploying as well into DeFi. So it's interesting to see what happens when there's a high divergence between maybe like the retail interest and then a bit more at least of big, large investors who are looking at DeFi seriously and uh, seeing where they want to allocate their. So what do you think needs to happen for there to be a turnaround on the level of activity on these different platforms? Overall, I think uh, one interesting look, it's all, of course, very difficult right now to sort of say the market is, is in a momentary period of going sideways at least. And if it sort of goes down from here, you'd expect the activity levels to really drop again. If it goes up, we might see the activity levels pick up as well a lot more. So it's sort of hard to tell where we go from here. For the DeFi protocols, it is interesting to look at at what levels do they plateau right now if uh, at lower interest uh, levels. And, and then if we start to, even if it's like a year from now, two years, three years, whatever, whenever uh, we get into like the next positive cycle of the market, uh, what level have the DeFi protocols plateaued and, and how much can they grow from in the next cycle? So, for example, we can think about something like that the protocols themselves right now, they are very reflexive. If you look at the valuations, for example, the valuations actually look uh, the best when activity is sort of the least uh, sustainable in some way, because when there's the most excitement in the space, you have the most trading volume and that makes like the PE ratios or whatever or the DeFi protocols look really good, and they actually look worse uh, when they are in this period where it doesn't look that good. But mm-hmm. also Ethereum ran into this problem where no one could really use Ethereum when it was really, really popular. And now that we have these layer two solutions coming up like Arbitrum and Optimism, it may be that the last time was the really the last time where as soon as activity picks up, it becomes immediately too expensive for most users. And that's a path to the excitement sort of dying down so sort of the next time when we start to see more activity, the technology will be there actually to support that activity. And then it's interesting to see so sort of how far uh, the activity levels can grow from there. Well, yeah, because you won't have a situation where when things get hectic or manic, you're paying 
absorbent gas fees to move in and out of a position. That's a case, as, uh, for example, where a lot of use cases are actually completely priced out of the Ethereum blockchain. So margin trading is one where margin trading protocols would have to handle a lot of liquidations in extreme price movements. And that's simply infeasible on the Ethereum blockchain. But those use cases, and there's a reason why DYDX and Perpetual Protocol and these others can only really take off on layer two solutions. And that's because those are the only environments that can support the liquidations that they need to run any sort of normal activity levels compared to centralized exchanges. So not only do the existing use cases get better when you have these layer two technologies coming out, but also you have these entire new use cases that couldn't be, that were simply unworkable previously. Yeah, and you kind of see that in the volumes of DYDX pre-Starkware and posts, right? So that kind of gives some indication of what scaling technology can help do for these different markets. Yeah, definitely. Their highest day, DYDX layer one, was about 58 million. Their highest day with Starkware implemented was 143 million. And we've also done some analysis here on uh, looking at the trade sizes where DYDX had to basically cap the layer one version into very large trades because they couldn't facilitate smaller trades as well. So uh, this is something that you see, for example, on Polygon right now, which is that Polygon does 7 million transactions per day versus Ethereum, which does a million. So mm -hmm. you can see that immediately when new block space sort of arrives and there is transaction capacity, that transaction capacity actually gets filled a lot quicker and with a lot higher volume than the Ethereum-based chain does. So that's what you'd expect to happen also with the optimistic rollups as they're coming online, that the transaction amounts are simply a lot higher immediately than what Layer 1 is able to provide. Let's double-click on this aspect for a second. You know, there's a lot of different folks and companies working on the scaling question or problem. How do you think that gets resolved? Scaling really has been one of those things that people have been promising for a while and in different ways. And the really sort of satisfactory ways to scale, which means that you derive your security from an underlying blockchain, you don't increase or create worse security assumptions on top. That research has been ongoing since a long time ago. And, and it could have been so that this problem would have been solved a lot earlier if, uh, for example, a technology like Plasma which was really popular and sort of the precursor to optimistic rollups had actually worked, but that ended up being an engineering problem that couldn't be solved. So uh, the rollups has been like the next move after that, and it just simply takes time. And really the reason now to be optimistic about rollups is that it, because it actually seems like it's going to arrive uh, very, very soon. Uh, Arbitrum, for example, already allows developers to deploy there and, and you'd expect the mainnet launch within weeks and, and the same for optimism as well. So there is a lot of positivity there because it feels like if you can't get to the very last moment, you could always run into some problems that you didn't expect that are harder to solve than you thought. But now it actually, it is true that we are at an inflection point. So stable coins are a use case that it shows that there's obviously a product market fit to a very, very meaningful degree. Now we're not talking only about a couple of billion dollars in some yield farming, but over $100 billion locked in these uh, systems in stablecoins. And most of that is collateralized in uh, some bank account. So it's backed by dollars in a bank account in a very traditional way. And that, I think, shows just that 
the blo blockchains have clearly a strength where this is a global uh, payment rails that anyone can access. And it's a really efficient way to simply transfer value from place A to place B. And even though uh, to move to like a local need, you need to sort of take the money out and have an exit point into maybe like local, uh, locally used dollars or something. But, but still, just when you're doing the payment, there is no payment system in the world that's sort of comparable, uh, comparable to blockchains. So it is a very strong sign of product market fit. And it makes sense that it's also sort of a very simple use case, which is just value transfer across the world with uh, some stable unit of account. So I think that's good first step. And it shows that probably the other stuff will start working soon. Uh, but there is like a flagship product right now. And, and that's stable coins. It's definitely bullish. There is a use case that is this popular, that there is a hundred billion worth of value associated to something in the industry. So overall, like just whatever people use stable coins for, in some sense, it doesn't matter because there are lots of different use cases, use cases there and lots of different types of stable coins also coming online. Maybe the thing to point out about the stable coin supply is that it's very much right now just geared towards this uh, custodial model where there's some company with a bank account and they have the dollars that back the blockchain version of that. And there are also, I think, interesting issues there, for example, that many of these DeFi protocols could be considered sort of securities exchanges or something where that are semi-illegal, but then you have this trusted asset that actually is the base unit of account and trading pair in these systems. So that may create a long-term issue, for example, in DeFi. But overall, just that there is a big use case like this that's being used in multiple ways, that's a very positive sign. I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance and market risk. With some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations. On June 22nd and the 23rd, Aventus and the Association for Digital Asset Markets will be co-hosting a premier virtual conference shining a light on Digital Asset Markets 2021. Visit AventusSystems.com today to register for this event so you can hear from the key regulators and thought leaders in digital assets. Have to give a shout out to Kraken, one of our sponsors. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect to your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Visit kraken.com slash scoop now to learn more or search Kraken in the App Store. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone, and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with Trezor Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. Are there any other charts that you can point to that have a similar growth trajectory right now? 
So I would say that uh, if you look at the layer two adoption data, for example, on Polygon, uh, the, simply the transactions per day, that's very positive. Uh, BSC sort of took the first wave of those transactions at the beginning. And now that there are these solutions that are closer to Ethereum and, and rollups are ultimately very much tied to Ethereum, those are the really interesting metrics to follow immediately after the Arbitrum launch, for example. Does the uh, do gas fees immediately go down on Ethereum uh, because so much of the activity is moving to Arbitrum? Also, you'd imagine lots of projects are really, really motivated to have deployments and get users onto rollups because that's ultimately the way that people think that these systems should scale. So the fact that Polygon has done such a great job, even though it's not a rollup, it's more a sidechain sidechain solution that doesn't really derive its security from Ethereum, it shows that if there is more block space, users will come and fill that empty space and, and find uses and make transactions more and more. So I think that's perhaps one of the most positive charts you can see in the industry. What do you think is probably the most negative chart? Well, obviously, the retail interest dropping off a lot is something that is very concerning, especially if you're thinking about prices and when prices go down, that tends to negatively affect the perception of DeFi and, and some of the activity levels plateau a bit lower. So I think there, if you look at the Google search volumes, which we have on the site, are a pretty good indication that there's just everything has basically halved or more. NFTs were a use case that were, uh, were really popular in mainstream type of media. And, and there were these use cases that brought a lot of users who probably weren't previously that didn't know much about blockchains. So NBA Top Shot being the being the best example there. And their trade volumes have essentially dropped by 80 to 90% or something. So those metrics are down a lot. And it's unclear how those metrics exactly bounce back because at least the previous experience that we've had is that it's sort of a really long process for retail interest to come back anyway. And it could be unrealistic to think that even though there is this great technology and people are working on all sorts of exciting DeFi stuff and Web3 outside of that, that that really translate quickly over to this type of mainstream attention that we just had. So that seems to be very cyclical and something that could take a while to come back. The NFT charts are probably among the most brutal. What do you think the death knell was for the NFT market? Was it, did it have something to do with scaling? I know that there were different issues with payment on ramps and off ramps. What drove that downturn more than some of the other ones we've seen? I think this is a good opportunity to take a look at some of the big pictures. And this is maybe the exciting part about the Web3 space. And if you just look at our dashboard, for example, how many categories it has and how those categories are in some ways quite unrelated to each other. NFTs are very, very different from DeFi. So NFTs were a very new thing. They've really caught the attention of people first time in this cycle, whereas DeFi, maybe a lot of the core protocols have already been built uh, from 2017, 2018 onwards, uh, for example, MakerDAO or Uniswap, and those are the dominant protocols today, whereas NFTs are in a place that's much less mature. But if we look at the whole ICO boom in 2017, for example, people didn't really know what tokens were, how they were supposed to be valued, what they were even supposed to be used for. And over the next few years, we came to understand a lot more than okay, they behave like these sort of pseudo-equity-like instruments and they can be valued through cash flows. And there's a lot of traditional company building ideas that go into building these DeFi protocols as well. So NFTs, I think, are in a space where 
it's that ICO level of sophistication where it's just collectible trading items, but there's no really like meat around the bones on, for example, how they NFTs really relate to intellectual property rights or cash flows through those intellectual property rights or that sort of thing. So I think NFTs saw a very similar type of ICO moment for themselves. And it's over the next few years that we will really see how those succeed or don't succeed and what models really uh, evolve from that. People were excited about marketers potentially adopting this technology or luxury brands using it as a way to reinforce the scarcity or the exclusivity of a given product. That's going to take years to play out. So kind of, I feel like it's in this limbo. Yeah, exactly. It's as unsatisfying as it sounds, these things take time and the infrastructure really to have a robust NFT ecosystem. It will be built, but it, it will take some time. So uh, and, uh, NFTs had this really, really great moment and it showed that, okay, if this stuff really gets built out like how people imagine it, then there will be sort of a more sustainable version of what we just saw that happens later on. But uh, I think it's uh, quite a while away and it will take a lot of, lot of infrastructure to build. I want to end with some of your closing thoughts about the market just broadly, but there's another interesting on-chain metric that we have in the dashboard, which shows the number of unique wallets opened in the last seven days. And the leader is PancakeSwap. They've added 938,000 users. What is that? I've never heard of it. Why do they have so many users? What is this thing? So PancakeSwap is a fork of Uniswap on Binance Smart Chain. And this is where business development really uh, comes into the equation where people in crypto, talk a lot about tech, but PancakeSwap, since it's on Binance chain and it's the biggest dex there, it means it sort of has Binance's large distribution behind it. And Binance itself and a lot of the big crypto exchanges have a lot more users than DeFi does. DeFi is a very, very small subsection of that. So we can see how if you have a chain that's sort of related to a large exchange and we can see that relationship partially probably with FTX and Solana as well, uh, that how well it works as a distribution channel to bring in new users to the ecosystem. There's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about maybe Binance Chain isn't the right way to build one of these systems in the long term. But it shows that, okay, if we have if we have more transaction capacity and transactions don't cost $100 to get through, and if you want to make a trade on Uniswap, the, you don't have to do it with tens of thousands of dollars for it to make any economic sense then there's actually a pretty great opportunity to bring in users because users do follow their incentives and whether they're sustainable or not, these liquidity mining programs are really good at attracting capital, attracting users. So if we have better technology, it means that there are these tools to really bring in users as well. And I think PancakeSwap is a great example of that. But at the end of the day, people are just going to keep bouncing around. When and how do these different protocols create sticking power? Right now, we're really in a place where a lot of experimentation is happening. And also because of this weird bottleneck that we'd have for a while, that scalability, simply offering scalability, even at the expense of decentralization, has been a value add. And with rollups, I think the interesting part is that we're maybe moving to a future where it's more difficult to separate yourself just with scalability because scalability is something that Ethereum will have. And that means that that Ethereum also has the opportunity to attract those users. So I think overall the protocols 
right now we need to explore all these different ways to how to build a DEX, how to build a options protocol, how to build a perpetual swap protocol, so that there are these financial instruments on top of which a lot of businesses and a lot of other protocols can be built. And it will be a while, but ultimately these systems also should be these global, really efficient marketplaces. So if you have an efficient DEX structure in the long term, there's no need necessarily to have so many protocols because you want all liquidity to come to a single marketplace so that that liquidity can offer the best prices to traders, for example, in the DEX example. Uh, but it is still a while before we have these protocols that maybe have these runaway network effects where they have so much liquidity that it's very difficult to compete with them. When SushiSwap forked Uniswap and started providing incentives to join, it was obvious that a few billion in TVL and some hundreds of millions in daily trade volume wasn't enough to create this sustainable mode where a new protocol couldn't come in and really try to take users. But maybe if DeFi grows, we get to see how that experiment goes, not at the two, $3 billion level, but maybe at the $100, $200 billion level for a single protocol. And that's where you might start seeing a lot more heavier network effects on these winner-take-all situations happening. And then these DEXs really kind of have like these runaway effects where it's not just every day there's a new fork of Uniswap on a chain X and that takes away some of the trading volume and some of the market cap, but really you start to actually see some winners in the space. I just love the dashboard. You know, if I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, I can't fall back to sleep. I'll literally just go into it. That's sometimes when I tweet. And I send you the tweets because I need the juice. I need the Mika juice. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? There's maybe a couple. First is that the market, I think, is in a very interesting situation where it feels very hard to tell uh, what will happen next. And that will determine sort of how long some of these things it, it takes to really take effect. I think the thing that, uh, for example, liquidity mining and ICOs have really shown us is that the technical innovation happens very slowly and very sort of linearly and irreasonably predictable fashion. Whereas these financial incentives that come on top, they're the ones that really maybe kick off the interest and activity properly. So uh, these two have a mismatch and they don't always talk to each other perfectly. So interest doesn't grow as technology grows at the same rate. So seeing just how these cycles play out and how sort of violent they are, or do they become less volatile over time? That's something I think interesting to follow over the next few years. Well, I have my money on more volatile, but we shall see. Mika, thank you for joining us. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. Cheers. Mm-hmm.